Chapter Two of Animals of the Past by Frederick Lucas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeffrey Smith. The earliest known vertebrates. We are the ancients of the earth, and in the morning of the times. There is a universal and perfectly natural desire for information, which in ourselves we term thirst for knowledge, and in others call curiosity, that makes mankind desire to know how everything began, and causes much speculation as to how it all will end. This may take the form of a wish to know how a millionaire made his first ten cents, or it may lead to the questions, what is the oldest animal? Or what is the first known member of the great group of backboned animals at whose head man has placed himself? And what did this, our primeval and many times removed ancestor, look like? The question is one that has ever been full of interest for naturalists and nature has been interrogated in various ways in the hope that she might be persuaded to yield a satisfactory answer the most direct way has been that of tracing back the history of animal life by means of fossil remains but beyond a certain point this method cannot go since for reasons stated in various places in these pages the soft bodies of primitive animals are not preserved to supplement this work the embryologist has studied the early stages of animals as their development throws a sidelight on their past history and finally there is the study of the varied forms of invertebrates some of which have proved to be like vertebrates in part of their structure while others have been revealed as vertebrates in disguise so far these various methods have yielded various answers or the replies like those of the delphic oracle have been variously interpreted so that vertebrates are considered by some to have descended from the worms while others have found their beginnings in some animal allied to the king crab every student of genealogy knows only too well how difficult a matter it is to trace a family pedigree back a few centuries how soon the family names become changed the line of descent obscure and how soon gaps appear whose filling in requires much patient research how much more difficult must it be then to trace the pedigree of a race that extends not over centuries but thousands of centuries how wide must be some of the gaps how very different may the founders of the family be from their descendants the words old and ancient that we use so often in speaking of fossils appeal to us somewhat vaguely for we speak of the ancient civilizations of greece and rome and call a family old that can show a pedigree running back four or five hundred years when such as these are but affairs of yesterday compared with even recent fossils 
Perhaps we may better appreciate the meaning of these words by recalling that, since the dawn of vertebrate life, sufficient of the earth's surface has been worn away and washed into the sea, to form, were the strata piled directly one upon the other, fifteen or twenty miles of rock. This, of course, is the sum total of sedimentary rocks, for such a thickness as this is not to be found at any one locality. Because during the various ups and downs that this world of ours has met with, those portions that chanced to be out of water would receive no deposit of mud or sand, and hence bear no corresponding stratum of rock. The reader may think that there is a great deal of difference between 15 and 20 miles, but this liberal margin is due to the difficulty of measuring the thickness of the rocks, and in Europe the sum of the measurable strata is much greater than in North America. The earliest traces of animal life are found deeper still, beneath something like 18 to 25 miles of rock, while below this level are the strata in which dwelt the earliest living things, organisms so small and simple that no trace of their existence has been left, and we infer that they were there because any given group starts in a modest way with small and simple individuals. At the bottom, then, of twenty miles of rocks, the seeker for the progenitor of the great family of backboned animals finds the scant remains of fish-like animals that the cautious naturalist, who is much given to hedging terms, not vertebrates, but prevertebrates, or the forerunners of backboned animals. The earliest of these consist of small bony plates and traces of a cartilaginous backbone from the lower Silurian of Colorado, believed to represent relatives of Chimera and species related to those better known forms, Holotichius and Osteolepis, which occur in higher strata. There are certainly indications of vertebrate life but the remains are so imperfect that little more can be said regarding them and this is also true of the small conical teeth which occur in the lower silurian of st petersburg and are thought to be the teeth of some animal like the lamprey a little higher up in the rocks though not in the scale of life in the lower old red sandstone of england are found more numerous and better preserved specimens of another little fish-like creature rarely if ever exceeding two inches in length and also related probably to the hagfishes and lampreys that live today these early vertebrates are not only small but they were cartilaginous so that it was essential for their preservation that they should be buried in soft mud as soon as possible after death even if this took place they were later on submitted to the pressure of some miles of overlying rock until in some cases their remains have been pressed out thinner than a sheet of paper 
and so thoroughly incorporated into the surrounding stone that it is no easy matter to trace their shadowy outlines with such drawbacks as these to contend with it can scarcely be wondered at that while some naturalists believe these little creatures to be related to the lamprey others consider that they belong to a perfectly distinct group of animals and others still think it possible that they may be the larval or early stages of larger and better developed forms still higher up we come upon the abundant remains of numerous small fish-like animals more or less completely clad in bony armor indicating that they lived in troublous times when there was literally a fight for existence and only such as were well armed or well protected could hope to survive a parallel case exists today in some of the rivers of south america where the little catfishes would possibly be eaten out of existence but for the fact that they are covered some of them very completely with plate-like armor that enables them to defy their enemies or renders them such poor eating as not to be worth the taking the arrangement of the plates or scales in the living loricaria is very suggestive of the series of bony rings covering the body of the ancient cephalaspis only the latter so far as we know had no side fins but the creatures are in no wise related and the similarity is in appearance only pterichthys the wingfish was another small quaint armor-clad creature whose fossilized remains were taken for those of a crab and once described as belonging to a beetle certainly the buckler of this fish which is the part most often preserved with its jointed bony arms looks to the untrained eye far more like some strange crustacean than a fish and even naturalists have pictured the animal as crawling over the bare sands by means of those same arms these fishes and their allies were once the dominant type of life and must have abounded in favored localities for in places are great deposits of their protective shields jumbled together in a confused mass and save that they have hardened into stone lying just as they were washed up on the ancient beach ages ago how abundant they were may be gathered from the fact that it is believed their bodies helped consolidate portions of the strata of the english old red sandstone says mr hutchinson speaking of the caitness flagstones they owe their peculiar tenacity and durability to the dead fishes that rotted in their midst while yet they were only soft mud for just as a plaster cast boiled in oil becomes thereby denser and more durable so the oily and other matter coming from decomposing fish operated on the surrounding sand or mud so as to make it more compact it may not be easy to explain how it came to pass that fishes dwelling in salt water 
as these undoubtedly did were thus deposited in great numbers but we may now and then see how deposits of freshwater fishes may have been formed when rivers flowing through a stretch of level country are swollen during the spring floods they overflow their banks often carrying along large numbers of fishes as the water subsides these may be caught in shallow pools that soon dry up leaving the fishes to perish and every year the illinois game association rescues from the backwaters quantities of bass that would otherwise be lost mr f s webster has recorded an instance that came under his observation in texas where thousands of gar pikes trapped in a lake formed by an overflow of the rio grande had been by the drying up of this lake penned into a pool about seventy-five feet long by twenty-five feet wide the fish were literally packed together like sardines layer upon layer and a shot fired into the pool would set the entire mass in motion the larger gars as they dashed about casting the smaller fry into the air a score at a time mr webster estimates that there must have been not less than seven hundred or eight hundred fish in the pool from a foot and a half up to seven feet in length every one of which perished a little later in addition to the fish in the pond hundreds of those that had died previously lay about in every direction and one can readily imagine what a fish bed this would have made had the occurrence taken place in the past from the better preserved specimens that do now and then turn up we are able to obtain a very exact idea of the construction of the bony cuirass by which pterichthys and its american cousin were protected and to make a pretty accurate reconstruction of the entire animal these primitive fishes had mouths for eating is a necessity but these mouths were not associated with true jaws for the two do not as might be supposed necessarily go together neither did these animals possess hard backbones and while pterichthys and its relatives had arms or fins the hard parts of these were not on the inside but on the outside so that the limb was more like the leg of a crab than the fin of a fish and this is among the reasons why some naturalists have been led to conclude that vertebrates may have developed from crustaceans pteraspis another of these little armored prevertebrates had a less complicated covering and looked very much like a small fish with its foreparts caught in an elongate clamshell the fishes that we have so far been considering orphans of the past they might be termed as they have no living relatives were little fellows but their immediate successors preserved in the devonian strata particularly of north america were the giants of those days termed from their size and presumably fierce appearance titanicthus and dinicthus and are related to a fish 
serratidus still living in australia we know practically nothing of the external appearance of these fishes great and fierce though they may have been with powerful jaws and armored heads for they had no bony skeleton as if they devoted their energies to preying upon their neighbors rather than to internal improvements they attained a length of ten to eighteen feet with a gape in the large species called titanicthus of four feet and such a fish might well be capable of devouring anything known to have lived at that early date succeeding these in carboniferous times came a host of shark-like creatures known mainly from their teeth and spines for their skeletons were of cartilage and belonging to types that have mostly perished giving place to others better adapted to the changed conditions wrought by time almost the only living relative of these early fishes is a little shark known as the port jackson shark living in australian waters like the old sharks this one has a spine in front of his back fins and like them he fortunately has a mouth full of diversely shaped teeth fortunately because through their aid we are enabled to form some idea of the manner in which some of the teeth found scattered through the rocks were arranged for the teeth were not planted in sockets as they are in higher animals but simply rested on the jaws from which they readily became detached when decomposition set in after death to complicate matters the teeth in different parts of the jaws were often so unlike one another that when found separately they would hardly be suspected of having belonged to the same animal besides teeth these fishes for purposes of offense and defense were usually armed with spines sometimes of considerable size and strength and often elaborately grooved and sculptured as the soft parts perished the teeth and spines were left to be scattered by waves and currents a tooth here another there and a spine somewhere else so it has often happened that being found separately two or three quite different names have been given to one and the same animal now and then some specimen comes to light that escaped the thousand and one accidents to which such things were exposed and that not only shows the teeth and spines but the faint imprint of the body and fins as well and from such rare examples we learn just what teeth and spines go with one another and sometimes find that one fish has received names enough for an entire school these ancient sharks were not the large and powerful fishes that we have today these came upon the scene later but mostly fishes of small size and as indicated by their spines fitted quite as much for defense as offense their rise was rapid and in their turn they became the masters of the world spreading in great numbers through the waters that covered the face of the earth 
but their supremacy was of short duration for they declined in numbers even during the carboniferous period and later dwindled almost to extinction and while sharks again increased they never reached their former abundance and the species that arose were swift predatory forms better fitted for the struggle for existence references the early fishes make but little show in a museum both on account of their small size and the conditions under which they have been preserved the museum of comparative zoology has a large collection of these ancient vertebrates and there is a considerable number of fine teeth and spines of carboniferous sharks in the united states national museum hugh miller's the old red sandstone contains some charming descriptions of his discoveries of pterichthys and related forms and this book will ever remain a classic End of chapter 2